Visiting emergency room doctors, children visiting ERs for issues related to their mental health has skyrocketed with depression. I have major depressive disorder. Exploring this global youth mental health crisis. Diagnosing themselves with rare mental health disorders in, in most cases that they don't have. After but this morning, for the first time, a new warning about something else. Social media and what it means for kids' mental health. We are in the studio recording several podcasts today. We've got some really good ones that we think we're coming out and we're planning for some more and we're excited about what the future holds. But I wanted to do a podcast. I want to do a show, whether you're listening or here watching, where it's a little bit more conversational. Um, you know, the idea behind the soul trap started very, very simply. Um, it was me, my phone, and a book sitting in office uh, and I believe that I borrowed some pillows to try to muffle the sound and the echo a little bit and it was simply this idea we want to pursue the truth wherever the truth takes us and we believe that the Bible gives us the light that we need to understand all things to follow the truth the truth however strange however odd however weird it might be we want to follow the truth and not just the truth, but we want to be able to ask the question. We sometimes come up with hard, definitive statements. But a lot of times, if you listen really closely, you'll find that we're actually just probing. We're actually just looking. We're actually just speculating. And there's nothing wrong with that. Pursuing the truth is a good thing. But it can be a dangerous thing as well. Dangerous in the sense of making people mad. Uh, dangerous in the sense of going against the government, going against uh, the powers that be. But I think it can be dangerous for you, the Soul Trap listener. And the reason why is because sometimes when we go after truth, we have to be willing to look at all truth, even the ones that we personally hold sacrosanct. We have to be willing to lay aside our personal biases and pursue truth. Recently, I did a podcast. I have it up here on the soultrap.com, which if you have not been, you need to be. If you're not a subscriber, you need to subscribe and you need to pass it on. But I have one of the most recent ones that we did called The Myth of Mental Illness. And I was fascinating, fascinated by how many people it upset. I thought it was interesting to watch the responses now, I always appreciate the attaboys. I always appreciate somebody coming back going, hey, that was a great show, and well, we enjoyed that, and we appreciate that. But I was fascinated by the responses, and here's what fascinated me about it. I wasn't fascinated that people were aggravated, because we have our fair share of people that if you say it was a UFO, they'll say it's a balloon. If you say it was a balloon, they'll say it's a UFO. I mean, people are opinionated. By nature, the Soul Trap listeners are opinionated, um, because everything reproduces after its own kind, and yours truly is opinionated as well. What I was fascinated with was the style of the opinions that the people had that disagreed. What I mean by that was it was almost as if in calling into question psychology and psychology, psychiatry, we were calling into question 
their religious beliefs. It was interesting to me that people that believe that the earth is flat, people that believe that the government is run by a pedophile ring, people that believe some of the most crazy, wild, true, <laughs> disturbing, massive, complex, frazzle-drip-style conspiracies could not wrap their head around the fact that possibly, just maybe, that when the Bible said, beware of science, falsely so-called, that could not be true. That is what was fascinating to me. And that's what told me that I was on the right track. We talked about a book. I encourage you to get the book. It's a good read, heavy read, but it's a good read. But I want to introduce you today to, I think, what is one of the underpinnings of the actual subject that we talked about. It is a book called Psycho Heresy, The Psychological Seduction of Christianity by Martin and Deidre Bobkin. Let me simply read to you the back cover. The Psychological Seduction of Christianity. Almost everywhere one turns in the church, one sees psychology. The psychologizing, that's their word, of Christianity has reached epidemic proportions. We see it everywhere in the church, from psychologized sermons to psychologized persons. However, the psychologizing of the church is neither biblical nor scientifically justifiable. Beneath all the biblical reasons why Christians should not pursue psychotherapy and its underlying psychologies is this one fact. The use of psychotherapy and its underlying psychologies denies the sufficiency of Scripture for the issues of life normally taken to a psychotherapist. Now let me say that again. Beneath all the biblical reasons, and there's a lot, but beneath all the biblical reasons why Christians should not pursue psychotherapy and its underlying psychologies is this one fact that the use of psychotherapy and its underlying psychologies, and I would add in there its connection of issues of the mind and soul somehow being biologically related and treated by pharmaceuticals, it all denies the sufficiency of Scripture for the issues of life that are normally taken to psychotherapists. This book demonstrates the fact that psychological explanations about life and psychological solutions to life's problems are questionable at best, detrimental at worst, and spiritual counterfeits at least. Now, Martin Bobgan holds four university degrees, including a doctorate in educational psychology from the University of Colorado. This is not a fly-by-night guy. But the theories within this are astounding. I would say to you that I think outside of maybe three or four, maybe five, I'll go real, real broad, maybe, uh, maybe 10, outside of 10 other books that I can think of, this single book right here should be read by every pastor that's a true Bible-believing pastor in the United States of America and every Christian because we do not realize how much we have been poisoned. I have a friend of mine by the name of Tory, one of the wisest men that I know, a great man and a great friend, one of the early listeners and followers of the Soul Trap. He told me one time, he said, this whole thing is a chess game. 
And whenever you see the right hand doing something, you better watch the left. I submit to you that I have missed it. I've read Jordan Peterson. I've read Peck. I've read Larry Crabb. I've read Carl Rogers. I've read uh, Young. I've read Psychology. And the truth of the matter is, as I look and see, I find that we are more poisoned and more detrimental and possibly outside the denial of the King James Bible. This one truth right here has done more damage than any other truth that you could possibly imagine. The psychologizing, the psychoheresy, and the seduction of Christianity. Now before you get mad and before you give me your anecdotal theories, and that's all that you have, nobody can produce any scientific data. In other words, if you have a broken arm and you come to me and say, my arm was fixed, you can show me a broken bone per an x-ray and a healed bone per an x-ray. And we have empirical data that shows that. But if you say to me, uh, I was depressed, but I take medication, I'm better now. You have no empirical data for that. That is anecdotal at best. It's not scientific in the sense of the true word scientific data. Because you, first of all, cannot define, nor can psychiatrists and psychologists define what depression or anxiety or bipolar or any of the other numerous things that they have. They can't define it. Watch me. They can describe behaviors that are told to them by people that claim to be depressed. And from that list, extrapolate what depression is. But nobody to this day has been able to define what depression is in and of itself. For years and years and years and years, we were told that depression, anxiety to some degree, had to do with the uh, serotonin uptake inhibitors and the problems that were going on there. When we did the myth of mental illness, nobody even responded to the fact that we read mainstream news articles that said, that's not true. That theory is not true. Well, I take depression medicine, therefore I'm not, de I'm not depressed anymore, therefore it must work. <laughs> that's called the placebo effect. At best, maybe the medicine does make you feel better. But how do you know it fixes something when you can't even define what's being fixed? I'm anxious. Define that. Bipolar. Define that. What is that? I submit to you that before you get mad that your psychological religion is being torn down, that you actually read the other side. That you actually take a few minutes away from your Facebook heresy hunting and read what is one of the most astounding books and truths that you'll ever come across. Let me, um, let me give you a couple clips from this, hopefully to whet your appetite. One of the things that happens is that people say, well, I get it. Secular psychology is not good, but Christian psychology, Christianity amalgamating, using psychological tools, now that's good. But let me read to you what a famous, very, very famous Christian psychologist who is actually the leader of the CAPS, the Christian Association for Psychological Studies, here's what he said. 
We are often asked if we are, quote, Christian psychologists and find it difficult to answer since we don't know what the question implies. We are Christians who are psychologists, but at the present time there is no acceptable Christian psychology that is markedly different from non-Christian psychology. Now, beloved, non-Christian psychology is built upon paganism, occultism, mesmerism, research it, Freud, Jung, Rogers, Maslow. These are not Christian pillars. So he just said here that there is no, there is no acceptable Christian psychology that is markedly different from non-Christian psychology. It is difficult to imply that we function in a manner that is fundamentally distinct from our non-Christian colleagues. You mean to tell me that a Christian is dealing with the soul and the behaviors of life? That a Christian is dealing with the consequences of behaviors and a soul and their therapy, their foundation is not fundamentally distinct from non-Christian colleagues? He goes on to say, as yet there is not an acceptable theory, mode of research, or treatment methodology that is distinctly Christian within the psychological world. Now, that should make you think. That right there should be enough to make you think, maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe there's something that we have missed. The fact of the matter is, you can read over and over and over, and you'll find that there are some great, not great, there are some stunning statements that are made that you never hear about. Here he writes, contrary to the general acceptable cultural view, psychotherapy is riddled with myths. Psychiatrist Garth Wood, in his book, The Myth of Neurosis, describes the bankruptcy of psychotherapists, quote, Cowed by their status as men of science, deferring to their academic titles, bewitched by the initials after their names, we, the gullible, lap up their pretentious nonsense as if it were the gospel truth. We must learn to recognize them for what they are, possessors of no special knowledge of the human psyche, who have nonetheless chosen to earn their living from the dissemination of the myth that they do indeed know how the mind works are thoroughly conversant with the rules that govern human behavior. You ought to think about that. Before you get mad and before you get upset, you ought to think just a little bit about this. It ought to process through your mind. Now, I want to take just a moment because you tend to think of it as science. But the Bible warns you about science being called that falsely. There's a section here called the elusive dream. The dream of a scientific study of human nature and a scientific method of treating unacceptable behavior was most alluring. The hoped-for science of behavior promised much to those who had been struggling to unravel the vast complexities of individual personalities in equally complex circumstances. Thus, through the study and imagination, psychologists pursued the dream of discovering scientific methods of observing, explaining, and transforming human behavior. Clinical psychology and its active arm of psychotherapy have indeed adopted the scientific posture. However, from a strictly scientific point of view, they have not been able to meet the requirements. In attempting to evaluate the status of psychology, the American Psychological Association appointed Sigmund Koch to plan and direct a study which was subsidized by the National Science Foundation. Okay? 
They're going to do a study on this. The study involved 80 eminent scholars in assessing the facts, theories, and methods of psychology. The results of this extensive endeavor were then published in a seven-volume series entitled Psychology, a Study of Science. Koch described the delusion from which people have been suffering in thinking about psychology as science. Quote, the hope of psychological science became indistinguishable from the fact of psychological science. The entire subsequent history of psychology can be seen as a ritualistic endeavor to emulate the forms of science in order to sustain the delusion that it already is a science. You get that? This is not me saying it. This is not even this guy saying it. This is people within their own field going, we've missed it. Koch states, he goes on to state, quote, Throughout psychology's history, as science, quote-unquote, the hard knowledge it has deposited has been uniformly negative. He contends that much of psychology is not a cumulative or progressive discipline in which knowledge is added to knowledge. Rather, what is discovered by one generation typically disenfranchises the theoretical fictions of the past. Well, we know that. One generation comes along and says, what you need is medication. I have a personal story. I know somebody very close, very influential, years ago in my early life, who made a series of decisions based upon character flaws, who was raised in a certain way and lived a certain way and made decisions that were because of lack of character. When those decisions culminated in catastrophic loss of family and catastrophic loss of any kind of sense of normalcy, they finally went to a quote-unquote therapist. They were asked to read a book by uh, The Road Less Traveled by uh, Peck. And they were told that their depression was because of a chemical imbalance. They were given medication. And to this day, if I talk to that person, they will look at me with frustration, with anger, with angst, that I don't believe that they're sick. But they will look at me and say, I'm just as sick as a man that was born blind or a woman that was born without hearing. I am just as handicapped as anybody that is experiencing a physical handicap, somebody like Down syndrome, you just don't see it because it's chemically in my brain. Wait a second. There's no proof of that. That generation, the books that were written, there is zero now proof. In fact, it's the opposite. It's not just that there's no proof. Scientific journals are coming out going, sorry, the theory of the serotonin uptake inhibitor and the chemical imbalance not true. Well, who made money off of that? Well, the pharmaceutical company did. The therapists did. The pill pushers did. What is this person left with? They're left with an excuse. The consequences of their behavior were not because of sin and character. The consequences of their behavior, which did indeed result in them feeling unhappy, not depressed, which that's the thing all in and of itself. But the consequences were not theirs. The consequences, the blame was shift. It wasn't them, 
It was the chemical imbalance. Well, before the chemical imbalance, it was your mom and dad's fault. Your dad did this, your mom did that. In other words, what I'm saying is, is you might want to think about this. You might want to read about this because the truth of the matter is there is an epidemic of unhappiness. Have you ever noticed that nobody ever says that before? I've done a lot of counseling and I hate to use the word and I disdain to use the word anymore. Biblical instruction is my phrase from now on. <clears throat> but have you ever heard anybody come to you and say, boy, I'm really struggling. I'm unhappy. Mm -mm. You don't hear anybody say I'm unhappy or I'm fearful. What do you hear? I'm depressed. Or I have anxiety. That shifts the blame and changes the whole thing. The fact of the matter is what ends up happening is people begin to make claims, either anecdotally or whatever. Well, this helped me. Okay. Well, a, a placebo effect may help you, but it doesn't make it nonetheless true. Some people still believe in bloodletting. doesn't make it any more true. What ends up happening is we hear of all these promises of psychotherapy and psychology, but they're not producing any real, valid, long-lasting effects. Again, this is not me. You can get mad and write all the comments you want on YouTube. I don't read them anyway, so it's irrelevant to me. That's why I pay Magic Man behind the computer there program. He reads all the comments, and, and uh, I only get the good stuff. So you can comment all you want in the negative. It doesn't bother me. I think all my comments are good. That's the only ones they let me see. But you can comment all you want, but the truth of the matter is you have to do your research and you have to read and study. And my goodness alive, my goodness alive, if you could believe in a global conspiracy, why wouldn't you think through this? Now, very fascinating. I'll leave you with this. I'm just trying to prompt you to get the book. That's what I'm trying to get you to do. The Cambridge Somerville Youth Study. Now, this is astounding, and I'll close with this. The Cambridge Somerville Youth Study is well known to researchers, but little known to the public. Ding, 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 ding. That tells you something's coming. If the promises of the project had been fulfilled, it would have become a household word, but the results of follow-up research were too embarrassing. The goal of the project was the prevention of delinquency. The methods were highly touted and expensive. However, the project turned out to be a clear demonstration of how research results can contradict the promise of success. The study began by, by selecting 650 underprivileged boys between the ages of 6 and 10 who were high risk with respect to becoming delinquents. Two groups were formed by matching the boys on a number of variables such as age, IQ, background, etc., etc. Then by a flip of the coin, the boys were assigned to either a treatment group or a control group. No treatment. No psychological treatment. Those who were treated received, on average, five years of psychotherapy, in addition to academic tutoring, summer camp, and other involvement with organizations such as the Boy Scouts and the YMCA. The boys in the control group were provided no psychological services by the project. At the end of the project, the counselors believed that they had greatly helped the boys they had treated. Furthermore, a large majority of the treated boys claimed great benefit, the way many of you do. <clears throat> Based upon testimonies of counselors and counselees, the project seemed to be a great success. It was 
a classic, quote, they lived happily ever after moment. And it was told over and over and over as a testimony to the success of psychology in the remedy of human problems and the rehabilitation of human beings. Imagine the bragging about salvation from a life of delinquency. Consider the financial benefits gained through the prevention of future crime. The psychological pats on the back were hard and loud. The profuse puffery promulgated as a result of this project was pathetic. It was pathetic because it was premature. No follow-up studies had yet been done. No acid test of future delinquency had yet been made. Imagine the surprise when the first follow-up study was conducted and revealed slightly more delinquent behavior among the boys who had received the special treatment than among the boys who had received no treatment at all. Did you get that? There was a slightly higher level of delinquency among the boys who had actually received all of the psychological treatment and care. Now that surprise of the slightly higher level turned to downright embarrassment when both groups were looked at 30 years after all the fuss. In looking at both groups in terms of criminal behavior, mental problems, and alcoholism, the researchers discovered that the ones who had received treatment on the average of five years of psychotherapy were doing worse than those who had been left alone. John McCord, who conducted the follow-up study, concludes, the objective evidence presents a disturbing picture. The program seems not only to have failed to prevent its clients from committing crimes, thus corroborating studies of other projects, but also to have produced negative side effects. What are the negative side effects? The absence of the conscience of self-responsibility. You are responsible for your behavior. You are responsible for the consequences of behavior. You are responsible for your moods. You are responsible. You are not a victim. And psychologists and medication do not know how to deal with the human soul, which is at the root of the very word that we banter around psychology and psychology. The seeming success, but actually a failure pattern, predominates throughout psychotherapy. Promises of success undergirded by testimonies of success do not equal true success. What am I saying? What I'm saying is, is that all of the frustration and the anger tells us that what we're dealing with is a religion. A religion that you have been taught to believe. Let me read this and I'll be thrilled. Dr. William R. Coulson, a former colleague of Rogers and Maslow, those are not Christian names, says that in later years, Maslow did not agree with much of what he had theorized in his early years. That would have been nice to know. Do you know how many people have studied that? His theory of what your needs are? He didn't even agree with his own self when he came later in life. Colson quotes from the second edition of Motivation and Personality, quote, The high scores in my test of dominance feeling or self-esteem were more apt to come late to appointments with the experimenter, to be less respectful, more casual, more forward, more condescending, less tense, anxious, worried, more apt to accept an offered cigarette, much more apt to make themselves comfortable without bidding or invitation. In other words, Maslow found that satisfying the so-called self-esteem needs did not produce the desired results. 
And that is the problem with so many of the self-theories. They begin with fallen flesh and simply end up with another face on the fallen flesh. We had so many people get frustrated, angry, upset, mad. How dare you attack psychology? I'm not attacking psychology. I'm attacking what the Bible calls science, falsely so-called. Get the book by Martin and Deidre Bobgin, Psychoheresy, Revised and Expanded, The Psychological Seduction of Christianity. If you want your worldview turned upside down, read it. If you want to go along in darkness and continue, go ahead and do that. But if you are truly a soul trapper, you are in pursuit of the truth wherever it may lead. Have a wonderful day.